podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to this week's FYP podcast. Thank you for joining us when we know pressing play might have been a little bit more difficult than other weeks. We're very pleased to have you with us. I'm Jack Pierce, and joining me for this slightly different format of midweek pod is Joe Walker. Joe, it's an early one for us this morning after the night before. How are you? Uh, well, I, I was hoping to wake up and it was all a nightmare, but it, 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 it's not proved to be so. We're, we're living it, so we are. <laughs> we are. We are recording early, listeners, before uh, work commitments for the two of us. And uh, what are we? Uh, just over. Well, literally twelve hours on from kickoff. So yeah, uh, yeah. feels fresh. Feels raw. Pretty much a, a just a slightly lighter version of the post-match pod, which has also just dropped. Yeah. Uh, for for patrons, we'll get onto that in a, in a moment. Um, in terms of format, it is a bit different due to the joys of midweek football and and having, in theory, two games to chew over. So Joe and I are going to talk things over and answer a few of your questions as we go, rather than having a, a, a question specific section. But we're also going to chuck in a clip um, from last night's post match pod to add to the usual mix. Truth be told, last night's performance put Sunday at West Ham long into the distance. So we're going to focus on last night's dismal performance at home to Bournemouth. But before we get into that, a quick message from our friends at Green King, where football is more than a game. Tis the season for festive football and the best way to watch it down at your local Green King Sports Pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new, so get the team down to your local for refreshing pints, delicious food and live action of every Christmas cracker. Every fixture from TNT, Sky and Amazon is live at Green King Sports. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins volley and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sports on the telly. And that ad might be the most positive thing you hear this week. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, just in wary of that, 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 the tone going downhill from there. I, I will say I was in a Green King Sport pub oh. to watch the West Ham game on the weekend. Oh, wow. And, Conscious uh, effort? Um, it, it, no, it just occurred to me. I was, meet, I, I was meeting my, uh, my brother-in-law's uh, West Ham fan. So I was around his way. So the, the William Camden in Bexley Heath and had a great time. Drinking sport pub, thumbs up. Let's see what the fuss is about. <laughs> hey, best bang for buck for adverts there. That's absolutely yeah. quality. Good time. Lovely, Joe. And, and a 1-1 draw that that afternoon. And, and we, we probably won't touch on the West Ham game much. I think maybe in 3-2-1 we might have to fall back on West Ham. But, right. um, yeah, I think uh, we probably need to... Dive deep into um, Bournemouth and, and Joe last night was about as bad as it gets, wasn't it? What, what were your main takeaways? So, funny enough, in the in the build up to the game, you see the parallels. It's a it's a, a midweek fixture against Bournemouth at home mm. on Amazon. Your mind immediately takes you back to the the ten men game where Sacco gets sent off really early. And Schlupp scores that that great solo goal, 
Um, and you also, you're looking ahead tonight and going, it, 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 Schlupp's probably going to come back in. You're probably going to hope look to him for something today because there's not much else going on. And if that was one of the great sellers nights, that 2019-2018 um, game against Bournemouth, this was one of our lows, very mo- really low lows since promotion, I'd say. Um, it's just so... It was just so little to be pleased or or to take away from that 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 gave you any kind of hope or never you know you're not going to be delighted if you lose a game regardless but there's there's there was nothing to hope or cling on to there which given the fixtures that are coming given the players that are missing that that was a you know alarm bells should be ringing and and I think they were I mean the atmosphere was horrid and, yeah. uh, last night and and understandably so. I don't think it was unjustified. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to what Roy thought about that later, but or, or certainly what he said publicly, but yeah, I, that was that was a really a really horrid, horrid set last night. Sobering, wasn't it? It was um, it was not fun. It was not fun in any way. That second half performance um, did nothing to lift the spirit so often. The first half performance can, can dampen the mood, but then the first, the second half, you know, kind of as they come towards the Holmesdale they get us going, but there was there was nothing last night. I think the one moment that, that kind of got us going was Michael Elise beating two or three players and then he was crudely taken out by I think Senesi and, and that was it. That was all I can really remember from from that second half. It it was it was poor. It was it was a really bad night. And it, it, it struggled from from moment one really in terms of atmosphere. There was, you know, a lot of anxiety about the 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 result in in that the, the hope was that we pick up three points ahead of what, as you say, is a very difficult run into December. But due to a number of issues, the fact it was early kickoff, train strikes locally, um, the ground felt half full at, before the game. And there was a real kind of underwhelming feeling about the place even before kickoff. And, yeah. and that was not helped by by the performance. I've got a question. As I said, we're going to drip feed the questions through um, as we kind of catch up. So, um James Taylor Nye, is this the lowest point since Sunderland? Crowd has turned. Board should be ashamed of themselves throwing Roy under the bus again. We'll come on to Roy in a moment. But in, in terms of the actual question, is this the lowest point since Sunderland? I guess at home, I can't think of anything since Sunderland that really compares to that 4-0 at home to Sunderland back in 2016. Yeah, that... that 2017. It doesn't matter, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't think of one where the kind of the crowd was universally just apoplectic. Well, apathetic, but then just mm-hmm. that the the second going in when it does, I think just turned the whole the whole place was just ready. It was like a tinderbox. I yeah, I can't imagine. I can't think of very many because in, in as you said, Jack, you can have a sort of uh, underwhelming first half that is normally met by anyone, any club, any team, any side. With a slightly rallied second half, particularly going facing the 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 Homesdale for us, yeah, yeah. but it was it was reminiscent of lockdown Palace, where you have your you have your one creative player who can be doubled up on, can be tripled up on, and the so they do safe in the knowledge that not a single player elsewhere on the pitch can yeah. do anything. Remotely interesting. I, I, well, we'll put. I'll kind of get onto some individual performances later. But yeah, the the general 
opportunities. You know, there's a there's a Lerma chance in the second half from distance that's tipped onto the post. Um, that was very much an outlier. And yes. then it... <laughs> I had to raise that. Yeah, the the, the, neg- the negativity had actually wiped that one from. Uh, yeah. yeah, but but chances were few and far between. You, you know, you lo- we were losing at half time. It wasn't like uh, the game went, went away from us. Bournemouth were very comfortable. Just we were not between. You know, the front three there. There's between them. There's some talented players there, but the creativity was really low. Are you on the left? You want okay. You probably are going to need to come. Whoever you're playing, you need to come in back inside to make something with the ball. And he was trying, but there wasn't really much output from that. The, I mean, Luton, the Luton game. I think one of the big criticisms was that on the left hand side, Mitchell and IU together, it was a very not much progress was being made in that when, second half. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then it happened again with. I mean, it was kind of not the most adventurous when Mitchell was on the pitch. When Mitchell gets injured we dropped down significant level even from there. and, and you, you just said before we started recording that that injury to Mitchell killed us, and it did. Yeah, Th- Which, there, and there it was, shouldn't, but it, it, it totally did. It, it it begs so many questions, the fact that he is the only first-team left-back, that Nathaniel Klein is the is the deputy to come in there. Um, you, you know, you can shine a light, so many things, the recruit, it opens so many questions, but in terms of the specifics of last night, it just meant that we lost one side of the pitch. It, it just yeah. meant we could do nothing. With who was in front of Nathaniel Klein already, to have both the advanced, you know, winger, the, the left of a front three, and the fullback both having to come back on their right foot yeah. every time, it was just, I mean, there were times when Adam Swift was, was happily being doubled up on because he yeah. knew full well and that's Adam Smith, who is, you know, a, a pretty, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe him, but he's not the most um, advanced right back. So he's already quite deep. Yeah. Yet he was just happy to be, I um, mean, we'll talk about deep fullbacks because we will have to talk about Wardy. If we're talking about Nathaniel Klein, Wardy had a, a desperate first half last night. Yeah. Really struggled. The fans were getting on top of him, but it comes with that regret that the fact there's so many fans around me going, and they always, this feel of, this cringe of having a go at someone that's done, served so much for the yeah. club. Last night he went top of the list of all-time Palace Premier League appearances, but it's not one of his <laughs> finest. Is that the headline and from last night, is it? <laughs> pretty much. I think that, and I think Jeffrey Schlupp might have entered the top 50 Palace appearances of all time, but another who you know, probably won't look back at that performance with any any fondness. But just in terms of, of Tyreek Mitchell going off and maybe the expectation that he'll be out for a number of games now as we go into a busy, a busy second half of December... Is Nathaniel Klein the only answer we have, or, or do you see any other option there? Well, I didn't see much in there, much. For all the criticisms of Roy Hodgson, um, he's very rarely proven wrong on the players he doesn't try and play in certain positions. That There's normally, you know, history will kind of show that he was usually in the right about that. I didn't see much from Chris Richards' appearance at right-back, there was it was a very low bar to meet prior to that, and he didn't meet that. Um, I don't know how much of that was influenced by an hour seventy minutes in midfield, where for all the positivity that he got, I think he was given the voting man of the match for Palace uh, at, West, at West Ham in a game like yesterday. Well, I don't know what the opposite of metronomic is because he was getting the ball a lot. He was playing the safest pass, but really unconvincingly. There was not um, yeah. really, really unhelpful in a game like that where you're chasing anything. Just really, 
almost looked like he's scared of having the ball. Um, and so, but yeah, so he's someone I imagine you're going to hear a lot um, mentioned as someone to play, maybe play at wing back or, or full back, sorry, with maybe even Ward move to left back. I think more likely you're going to see is Jairo Riedewald at left back than than one of than Chris Richards, um, someone that played there under Roy. I think mean, that's just before the sort of 19, 2019, 2020. Christmas, yeah, I remember him at Southampton. Yeah, I think it was around then. Yeah, I think he might even played there Brighton away the IU the IU game where we. Ah uh, yes, yeah. Which so I'm. I, whether that whether that's something that Roy wants to explore, we'll we'll soon see because I don't think the right as you said, two right footed players on that side is is unsustainable, it, it, unmanageable. It, it, it was it was not good. It was not good. And and the thing is that you know, players under under heat, particularly Wardy and, and I've just kind of mentioned Nathaniel Klein, but my expectation is the pair of them will both start on on Saturday against Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, I will talk about Chris Richards maybe in 3 2 one because his performance at West Ham was, was praiseworthy. Um, but last night, it looked like a centre-half playing at central yeah. midfield. And then when he went to right-back, he just did not want to get forward. He's not a comfortable full-back. He's, that's not his yeah. progression through his career. He's, he's progressed as a, a central figure. And if he's not been playing as part of a centre-back two, he's been playing as part of a centre-back three. Yeah. Um, it, it, some I, minor experience as a deep-line midfielder. Um, but a game against West Ham when you've got someone like Suchek to go up against it kind of gives him his brief whereas he had so much time and space last night and it, it, he just didn't know what to do with it at times mm. I, I have to mention my brother because he was shouting pretty much from about 25 minutes in to switch Anderson and Richards and, and, I think and there's he, a huge case some, to be made for it yeah and he got some sympathy from people around us and yeah and when Anderson did almost take the matter into his own hands and advance a bit and Richards dropped actually we looked our most kind of cohesive for the 30 second 60 second periods that that actually was happening yeah. and I thought oh maybe he's done the swap and then Anderson would then drop back in so I think there are fans my brother's not the only one sorry I don't want to <laughs> give yeah. my brother praise it is just his there's others that have thought the same and and it could well happen I, I just think Roy just doesn't want to break up the partnership of Gay and Anderson but even those two have been so superb can you be so superb I don't know but they've been superb since they've signed for us yeah but even they seem to be dropping a level over the last couple of games. Last night, no nobody on that pitch had anything to write home about. It, it was, it was, it was bad. J- just in terms of squad, because I, I, we'll, we'll keep moving. On. We, we could probably just stew all, all morning, <laughs> to be honest. But I just want to go for a couple more questions because this result, as, as you mentioned earlier, does add to a list of other really underwhelming results as, as we've had, particularly at home. The home form is, yeah. is a real worry. Rob Dobbing, love Roy. And can't see how a new manager would do much better with a threadbare squad. But one win in eight when we've played Forest, Everton, Luton and Burnley is concerning. Lose the next against top class opposition and the run looks very similar to the run before Patrick Vieira was sacked. Do the pod think the same outcome for Roy would be justified if this happens? Pretty heavy question there, Joe. And given it's kind of a a one guest panel, um, I will try and help you out with this one. (laughs) But uh, what are your thoughts about about Roy? And then we will come on to kind of Roy's position. Because we've had other questions. I'll just chuck you another one. Chris Chantry, brave brave of you to ask this so soon in terms of our request for questions, which (laughs) we had to ask so soon. Um, But is Cooper the only option on the table or is it Doug? until the end of the season. We'll, we'll come on to maybe <laughs> other options because there was a, an even worse result for a Premier League team than ours last night and, and it, it did involve Steve Cooper. But in terms of Rob, Rob's question, Rob Dobing maybe actually, sorry Rob, I may have misread your name, apologies. But in terms of um, the outcome for Roy, wh- where's your head at this morning? 
I'm I'm not anti Roy. I but I would say all the hallmarks of a strong, um, you know, just a classic Roy Hodgson side. Um, part of that is maximizing what's there. Um, you know, just the the home form has been bad for most of the season, but I don't think many managers would have got points out of the. Fulham and the Forest game. There were just there, we 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 got a lot of points early on in the season with players that you know with a similar team that we're kind of putting out now. Um, just well, obviously Chet Decore was still fit then, mm. and big miss. Yes, and in context, I think that's why you know you didn't. Why you heard some disquiet and, and murmurs? It's more from the this recent window of games. The idea is that you tolerate. Getting those, getting those points over the line, doing whatever it takes. If it means that when those quote unquote winnable games come along, among, play, teams among you in the table, near you in the table, that you can still get you know go on the front foot and 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 get points from those games, which is perhaps where I think that's the the spoiled comments come on from later. But mm-hmm. when you get to those games that you're supposed to then get points from, not the ones that you hope to get points from, the ones where you're this is the target window, similar level of opposition. To lose not one of them, but three of them, the Luton, Everton, and this game, mm-hmm. That's uh, there's very little left to defend at that point. Um, you know, a, a manager is very loyal to the players that he has played for a number of, of seasons and uh, people he's had a good look at, but which is really difficult to defend in a game like that where those players had nothing to give. And you think it cannot, and I'm not saying right off the, right off the game, whatever we're losing. There's no movement. There were a couple of times. Sometimes it's exaggerated that there's, there's no movement in front of the center halves. There really was a few times where Anderson and Gay are passing it back to forth just to each other. Look, yeah. because they're looking up and no one is moving. Yeah. Um, our approach last night seemed to be the best work we did seemed to be, Long ball to IU because Smith, uh, their right back, is actually quite quite short. And yeah. IU was having a lot of joy in the air. But we're not a team that is really set up to kind of what, anticipate any kind of header or flick on there. It's going back into midfield. Schlupp's not winning that second aerial duel. And then that that, that was our lot. I, I, there was some good we, stuff in the first five, ten minutes. But yeah, the, uh, the way the second half is was just hopeless and... You, it's, it's very difficult to defend the management style when you see something like that. I, I think a team that can pass as well as we do um, and has, you know, we're a team that is used to having possession, a lot of possession now in the last year or two. Um, but the sign of a bad, a team that's really down bad, and as you saw it with the Bryant game that saw Vieira go, was that often a, bad, a passing side, when they're just going side by side, passing between one or two players for minutes at a time, that's, that's usually the the beginning of the end, or something's really up. I know there's personnel missing, but that's not there's you, there's no way that's the best performance or that 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 eleven can put out. Yeah, yeah, don't disagree with a word of that. The um, yeah, the point about the maximising of what he has in front of him is is what we've credited Roy with so much. But there was so much of last night where you, the performances across the pitch for whatever reason, just were nowhere it needed to be and, and the tactics deployed or the lack of kind of revising the approach just didn't happen. We'll come on to subs as well because that's another topic that we'll, that's going to be 
yeah, a little bit later. We're going to touch on that in a bit. Right. I just, I just wonder what he would have made of it watching it last night. I think from, for, I looked at him at one point and, and actually one of the biggest things I took away from, from Roy's body language last night, he didn't change. He just stood there the whole time. I, I, I feel like he hasn't got any options on the bench. He doesn't really know what more he can do with the players he's got on the pitch in terms of change and shape. And I think he's just almost resigned to playing out the game for the full 90, the way he's instructed the team to go out. There were moments, you know, we, I just touched on Anderson moving up 10 yards and Richardson dropped back. There was also like a 90-second period where Elise went inside for, for a little yeah. bit. Schlupp went out and I thought, oh, OK, maybe that's a change. No, then reverted straight back to Michael Elise being back out on, on the right-hand side. So the the lack of change during the game was... was and obviously, I'm, I'm not <laughs> a master tactician. I'm sure there were minor tweaks being instructed to the players by, by Roy and Ray and Paddy throughout the game, but... In terms of what it looked like, nothing really did change, and that was that was a difficult one. To quickly touch on the, the potential and the possibility of Roy moving on, being asked to move on, moving on to his own volition. Specifically, Roy Cooper. Uh, Roy Cooper mm-hmm. is that the guy from Coronation Street? <laughs> <laughs> That's Roy Cropper. <laughs> I mean, no, it is seven. What is the time? Five to eight. It's okay. <laughs> Roy Cooper. Maybe that's the best of both worlds. In yeah. terms of Steve Cooper, a manager who last night um, oversaw his team lose 5-0 at Craven Cottage against a Fulham team that haven't really... I know, OK, they, they played well at the weekend at Liverpool, but they're not the Fulham team that impressed no. so much last season. Raul Jimenez scoring twice is a, Raul Jimenez is a, scoring, is a criminal offence. <laughs> and also scoring a goal which... It's just blatantly taking the piss, the yeah. the kind of the, the back heel. heel finish. Yeah, um, not a good night for Nottingham Forest fans. I find it confusing. I, I can put it no other way that he is deemed the answer when he is currently overseeing a worse run of form in the same league as as Roy Hodgson is. There are elements of Steve Cooper's performance over the last few years that are very praiseworthy and very interesting to a club like Palace. His time as England coach. His um, very successful time as England coach, so you know he oversaw the winning of the the under seventeen World Cup. Um, his time at Swansea was impressive on a very small budget, got them to the playoff final, um, and then of course his his stint as Forest manager has been incredibly successful. And have heard him compared to Brian Clough in the impact that he's had at that club. But in terms of what he could bring to Palace right now, I'm not sure he would provide the. Um, the insertion of what is required to see a significant change of performance or result on the pitch. Joe, just quickly, your thoughts specifically on Steve Cooper, because he is being mentioned a lot by Palace fans. Yeah, and I think if you, if you, I, I watched Sky's highlight package on YouTube of the Fulham uh, Forest game. What was really telling, I think, in the lead up to their third goal, or might, maybe even they were already 3 0 down at this point, all you can hear are the Forest fans singing Steve Cooper's name. And from what I've seen online, there's videos of him getting, still getting an ovation at the end of the game. And mm-hmm. he's he's untouchable there. And I, I do wonder if it's a situation he'll be keen to leave himself because I understand that the owner there is always five minutes away from kind of just throwing a baby out of the bathwater there. And he's won a few personal kind of perilous moments with that owner but I imagine maybe third or fourth time he might be unlucky mm. 
in terms, yeah, but in terms of what he does for us, I, I would he change the style of play too drastically? I'm not sure without personnel change. I do think now, though, with with the formal B as it is, and barring a miracle result over the next three to four weeks, that conversation is not going to go away. And it, it might not be Cooper; it might be somebody else. The next time somebody else becomes available, or another team hit really impressive form, and it feels like an achievable appointment. The fact that we know Roy is only contracted till the summer, and although we kind of we've said this three years ago, and again three months ago, or, or six months ago. We know he's going. So when the opportunity comes for somebody else to the, the future appointment, the the long term thinking, the through line stuff, that you have to ask that question. Well, do do we just get it do we just get it sorted now? Who can we convince? Do you want to just hold out? Go and have a go and have five months off and uh four months off, whatever it is, and we'll appoint you in in June, in, in the first of June. Which has its own perils because it's like I'm trying to think of a parallel. You know, you know, in uh, Manchester United managers under pressure, and then suddenly that the camera turns to Sir Alex in the stand. Mm. I feel like if you're if you know if Roy knows his time's up in the summer, let's say, and I I think it would take something really drastic for um, Roy to be sort of sent home early without a replacement in mind already, sort of in the pocket. I, I I feel like having a new manager that will be you know announced but joining in the summer, the moment he appears as, or they appear at Sellhurst, it would just be really undermining to what's currently what Roy will be trying to do. Um, and so yeah, I, he had that he had that a little bit when he had his spell at Watford. They appointed Rob Edwards about maybe two games to go, and he right. was in the stand, and it got his back up like. He, the next question is related to Roy's, Roy's press conference last night, but he was he was gnarly. He was not happy that Robert, even though Roy was clearly leaving and was not going to be kept on, right. he was not best pleased. And and the, certainly the the kind of impression was that he wasn't um, particularly keen to support the implementation of the new manager. I don't know. He he may well being Palace and the attachment he's got to Palace it may well differ, um, and he may well think that he will. Be helping, but yeah, I, I agree. I think there, there's there's no desire from any, even the most ardent Roy critic, for this to end in the way that it could well end. And and what really struck me last night was that my my instinct of that Roy should leave at the end of last season and get the most rapturous round of thanks again at the end of the Forest game. I just wish it had happened because I never wanted to be here. Yeah, I didn't want to be here. I. I... To, without rewriting history, I, I think the options we had in the summer were just rubbish. Yeah, I think that's quite right. I think the reason why that's Roy is back that's is why not we're because here. Roy was the right appointment. It's yeah. because Roy was the only appointment that was, that yeah. was viable. But I wish the situation was different. For everything Roy's yeah. done for the club, um, and you only have to go back two episodes of this podcast yes, to hear a man speak so passionately about the football club that he's manager of and talk about so passionately about football generally, for him to be in the situation with the the dearth of talent in the squad with just a few injuries it's not as though we're decimated by injuries right now we're, yeah. we're you know it's a few injuries that any club has to manage during a season it's a premier league standard at the moment every every team has got a I think we're below average list. i think we're below average for the average list of injuries right now yeah which um, i mean is a, is a mark of how overplayed the players are that that's where it is because we are missing players but yeah that it, we, but so is everybody as you're saying and, and actually 
by the by the standard. Some of those players are our best players, but dearie me. Um, I I would say about Roy, I, so I'll put my hands up. I, I was one of the very many that just made their way home at the, at the set, second goal goes in. So I missed the full-time reaction. I did hear it outside the ground. But it then meant I also missed this supposed someone threw a bottle at Roy as he going, going as he heads towards the tunnel. It's Please leave that out. What is that? That what is, is disgraceful. That, that is disgraceful. I mean, throwing anything from the stand is at anyone is is intolerable. To throw anything at a man who is seventy six, who has fronted up after the game, he didn't skulk off. No. He walks in the middle of the pitch as he always does. Thank the referee shook hands with a couple of opposition players and walked towards the Homesdale and put his best face on that he could. For anyone to think it was appropriate to throw something in, whether it was aimed at Roy or someone else and it's hit Roy, it's embarrassing. And I hope the person's identified and I hope they're dealt with because that type of thing is, it's just ridiculous. It's just mm-hmm. nonsense. And thanks for bringing that up. I'd forgotten about that. I picked that up last night when I got in and, um, yeah, you give your head a shake, don't you? That type of thing. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, it seems trivial compared to that, but Matt Woosom last night did drop a story indicating that Parrish has, has uh, given some indication that business will be done in January. And we won't go into January. It's not, the, it's not the podcast to do that this week. But interesting to see that that story is being, um, I think it was actually released mid-game. Um, yes, yeah. So, and with, with the, the, the sort of main takeaways from those quotes were, it sounded sounded a lot like the loan market was going to have to be oh, yeah. really stretched. And oh, um, yeah. from what we were saying maybe last week, the week prior, midfield is now suddenly the main priority. And uh, do you know what? After that, I completely understand. Yep. I think our full strength midfield three of Lerma, Decore, and Eze is one of the best in the league. I'll go I'll go as far as saying that. The one, we put, the one we put out last night, wouldn't get out of the championship. Yeah, I agree with that. That <laughs> that's that is fair summary. Um Edmund Brack also earlier in the week, uh friend of FYP, uh talking that Hugo Eka TK deal, there is still some uh some light underneath that deal possibly, but we well, shall the club, see. The club we were competing with for him in the summer is being heavily linked with Jean-Philippe Mateta, so guilty birds of one stone there, Palace. Yeah, God, I have no energy to talk about Jean-Philippe Mateta last night, but yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been. We'll, a... come on, we'll come on, maybe we'll talk about we'll talk about the subs in a moment, yeah. just quickly because we we've talked actually probably more, but it's, <laughs> it's good for us, Joe. Hopefully, listener, you're you're um you're still with us. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not, well then, um, I can't blame you. Um, let's very quickly just touch on the comment about sport because a lot of fans had a lot of feeling about it, and again, yeah. it was. I'm just going to quote it is. I've just listed this from, from Bracker's Twitter, the quote, but I think you may have the longer version, Joe, that you said. Uh, quote from Hodgson, I think, on Amazon Prime last night, so very close to the, to the full-time whistle. The fact is, fans have been spoilt here in recent times. They're used to seeing us do very well at home and get good results. And this year, we've not been able to do that. Um, Joe, does the longer quote give any more detail, or is that about the essence of it? Um, looking now, uh, uh, that is about the essence of it. I, I think it's what he says prior, which actually isn't in front of me. I've got a lot more of what's after, but okay. what, he, what he said beforehand was saying, yeah, it's, it wasn't good. Um, that's a poor, it wasn't, wasn't quite, he was still keen to give Bournemouth credit, he, but uh, just the idea of that, we should, 
I think the players' efforts in the second half were worthy of some support. The frustration is they came tonight thinking it was going to be an easy win for Palace and it turned out to be a home defeat. We can't force them to stay behind us in those moments. You think, I, I don't think you can see that second half and go, Quad. I, I think Palace fans generally have lifted that side over a number of years. You, to, to For us to let ourselves down one week on that, Mm-hmm. It's not an out. It's not because of it's. It's because that's that's come as a accumulation of you know how it's been at home all season. We we've endured the worst. We've really you know I think we were very good in that Forest game with really getting behind a really makeshift side, worse than the one that was out last night. Mm-hmm. And for then the, the the idea is that when it comes to this game, they give a little something back that we remember what why why we go what's you know freezing cold we've all run it's an earlier kickoff than usual which mm. lots of us miss i miss kickoff getting with the train strikes and stuff and then to immediately come back down it was just a it's a whimper and the spoiled thing he might regret those words and i imagine you know we've actually he's been on a bit of a run of clarifying or correcting his press conference statements. Well, li- li- literally, the last game, the last press conference, there was requirement of him to come out in his pre-match Bournemouth press conference and clarify what he meant by a comment in regard to a difference of opinion between Ebert and the and the, med- and the medical team. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's exactly that. It's a bit of a run of comments maybe coming out a little bit too fresh yeah. from Roy and, and maybe his frustration with the situation is, is, is contributing to that. But... It's not ideal because it just gives those that want to hang their hat on something else another thing to hang their hat on, and yeah. it's not a great it's not a great quote. Um, I haven't seen the clip back, but it's not a great quote. Um, you know, I had, a, the, the, <laughs> I had an hour and a half drive back to the, sure. the coast, and my brother literally, as we pulled out of uh, of Balfour Road, told me the quote, and I was like, "Quality, <laughs> it's <Right>. great." Yeah, <laughs> feeling the, really sport right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 clip itself is not. Um, there's not venom to it in the way that it's, you know, there's a little bit of bite to that quote in isolation, but what the the clip is still, which I think still kind of draws some criticism and warrants it is, it's just a kind of like hopelessness of it. It's very much kind of, not Bournemouth for good. And yes, they probably had a better 11 out than us last night, or certainly had better subs, better forward line. Um, But even so, just the, the idea of, yeah, we lost, and um, I'm surprised that people are annoyed about it. It's like, no, no, come on. Like, We did have a number of questions about it. Paul Nash, Beardy yeah. Mouse. Sorry, I haven't asked your questions, but know all your points about it, guys, and, yeah. um, and thank you. Joe, let's leave it there for um, for now, and, w- and what I think we're going to do is, is magically insert some post-match pod content for all listeners here to, to kind of add a bit of right. uh, variety, although having only I haven't quite listened to all of the post-match pods, so we may have duplicated some of what was said and apologies listen if you do it patrons may as I say patrons may well have heard this already and apologies um for that but for those of you that who aren't yet signed up to our patron and like what you hear this is a snippet of the post-match podcast which is typically a patron only feature to sign up to our patron which supports the podcast please visit patreon.com forward slash fyp podcast and as Michael Foley says get sales on ASAP so over to Rob and Selzy
So yeah, I, 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 my my view is, and I we, I was just talking to you about this in on the way to the car. I do feel like I don't I don't blame Roy for the lineup really in the grand scheme of things all of those players are the ones that you would ultimately pick you can't really there's no Eze to choose and I understand that you wouldn't start France and I understand you wouldn't start Abue and I understand that you probably wouldn't start Ahamada either I get that um, but what I w- what m- some of my frustration is that after having this run of ultimately poor Results and poor performances that have led to result these results. There's against Luton. I thought we played. We actually played quite well against Everton. I thought we actually played quite well. But again, we made mistakes, and then you end up losing losing to to those opponents. Um, West Ham. The only reason that we ended up equalising was because they made a mistake, um, which is just a, an indicator of the, the the balance of how football is when you're in that middle ground. But I just felt that after three performances like that. Um, where we weren't getting results, the, the, it felt like there was just a lack of intent. And I think you can get, you should expect more from some of the players that you have on the pitch. We we should expect more from Schlupp. We should expect more from Ayu. We should really expect more from Anderson and Gay. We should really expect more from you know our, from our midfield. Maybe Lerma, I, I would say, um, and Edward. We we should definitely expect more from, but. It just, and so I just, that, I think that's where some of the frustration comes from. And I think Palace fans will be frustrated with that. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's all fair and understandable. Um, but, you know, it's confidence, isn't it? That's the game. You know, confidence is a magic word. And when you're not winning football matches and things are difficult, it's quite hard to come by. And I think. You saw a little bit of hesitation in a few players tonight. You know, I thought Wardy, for instance, looked really uncomfortable on the ball at times. When he was carrying the ball, he looked almost like that he didn't know what he was going to do or what he wanted to do with it at times, which, you know, that might not just be on him, by the way, but that's in terms of the... the the, 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 what he sees in front of him and what he can do in the situation. But <clears throat> I think he... Um, he looked a little bit uncomfortable. I thought Lerma tried a bit too hard, quite honestly, against his former club. You know, he was all action and tried a few things and so on, but it looked like he was sort of overdoing it a little bit at times. And again, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't pleased with any aspect or anything really. I, I, I can't say there's no real pluses that came out of the game tonight. But as I said to you before, I can't I can't look at the manager and say, ah, oh, he's fundamentally doing this wrong. You know, he's not picking this player, he's not pick- and let's not fall into the trap because I'm sitting there going, Well put Franta on. Do you know what I mean? Put Franta on. But I've seen Franta a few times in the under twenty ones as well as his first team um, appearances. And I can perfectly understand why he won't use him, because I've seen him, you know. And we have to remember, these people see these blokes all day, every day. We don't. Now, it's just a matter of opinion. But there is this trap that fans fall into of thinking that whoever isn't there is the answer. 
the person who isn't there who's the answer is Eze tonight. Like, because you saw what happened with Michael Elise. Every time he picked up the ball, three, four bodies around him, around him, around him, stopping him, stopping him, stopping him. Stop Michael Elise. Where's your, where's your threat coming from elsewhere? Yeah. There isn't one. Yeah. Jordan Ayew, and I like Jordan Ayew to a point, but the fact that he's suddenly become this this sort of key player in our team in the eyes of the fans this is a bloke that most people have wanted replaced for the last four years yeah. and what again much as he occasionally gives you a great flash of something you think back to his goal against West Ham three or four years ago was sensational but he spends most of his time dribbling, putting his body across people, trying to draw a foul. There's not really very much, um, when you use the word intent, I don't see him go past people and deliver balls or get shots off. I don't see it. And as I said to you all along, we haven't got enough players that can go past anyone with a ball. I feel like a scratch record. But you saw it tonight. You saw their front three in the first half, the yeah. pace. Yeah. And Semenya was one of the players that we should have signed. Well, I can tell you a little bit about Semenya because I had this conversation with somebody at the club on Monday. And from what I understood, that they were very keen to do Semenya, but it was actually Patrick who didn't want Semenya and why they backed out of the deal. So that was obviously a managerial choice at the time where he didn't particularly... I thought Semenya gave me a feeling of Bakary Sacco tonight Mm. when I watched him. Powerful, strong, hard, hard running, and they had pace and they had cutting edge in their in their forward line in the first half. I actually thought that the manager, bizarrely, taking all their sort of attacking talent off early in the second half to try and uh, see out the game, was actually sort of almost inviting us back into the game because their biggest threat was their forwards and counter-attack. They would end up inevitably getting another goal. And, you know, fair play to him. It's all panned out okay. But I think he sort of... We started the second half a little bit more positively and I think he immediately got uncomfortable and thought, yeah. OK, we'll do this and we'll try and see the game out, which they were able to do. But, you know, the, the problem with all of this, Rob, is that none of it is... None of it is new, is it? It's not anything we don't know. It's everything we do know. And we know, you know, from experience in football, that often the manager is the fall guy in this situation. And people get frustrated because the team's not winning. And, you know, everybody feels like that. But ultimately... I, I can't look at the manager at this moment and go, you're not playing him and you should be doing this and you should be doing that and so on. I, don't, I can't really see it. There's Generally, in these situations, I find myself disagreeing quite a lot with the choices and what we're doing. But we haven't really got any choices. You know, I think fans are, where I'm sitting in the director's box are screaming at Roy, change this, change that and all that. And I think he's sort of smiling, looking around as if to say... Change what with what? Do you know what I mean? And that is the problem. You know, we're bringing on Jan Philippe Mateta to try and rescue the game. Does anyone think he's good enough to be a Premier League striker at Crystal Palace? No. Is Will Hughes a Premier League player at Crystal Palace? No. But we've got we. But we spent fifteen million pounds on Franca, and 
and and didn't bring him on. We could. Well, uh, th- but this is this, this is my issue. Why, but this is my this is my issue, Sales. And I said this as we were walking across. You you say you've seen. France in under I've seen twi- every, under twi- every Premier League right. game he's played. Right. I've watched him play live three times. Right. The under we've seen runs. we've seen Schlupp play it this entire season and not really make an impact. He scored one goal all season, playing in, as an attacking, supposedly as a winger in most of the games, and he's been he's been consistently underperforming. I would argue he does he does a good job at kind of being a body that's in the way. He's no longer the driving force that he was, and he's not really that effective in midfield. He doesn't really move the ball very quickly he he tends to be very often he's one of those players that will run forward turn around with the ball in possession and pass it backwards so to me in that situation how what why is that any different why is it any different that a player who's actually featuring in the first team and being inconsistent or at at best not playing well at all is is allowed to be given more and more and more opportunities? Is it purely because he once did a thing that was really good for us, or do you end up then saying, "Well, why don't we give that young player that we spent fifteen million pounds on that we we spent fifteen million pounds on Mark Gay, we spent fifteen million pounds on Joachim Anderson, who and, who are all good enough and ready to play in our team? But you no, only, you're but only I, ready I, listen, if you start. I, I totally if you understand play. your point, and I can sit there tonight and say, "Put him on." If I was I would I would have put him at on this point, as if I'd to just him. say to you and everyone else, right? This is what I got. Yeah. This is what I'm, this is the best I can do. This is what I've got to work with. I don't I, I don't think you know there's there's. Franca isn't the silver bullet. No, and really, and really what we're also what, doing. My, my point. I think you're, you know, just because Jeffrey Schlapp isn't playing well, it are you as well on some, average? Well, like, are you they're, not all, good, they're not good enough. They're, all just, well, they're not good enough. <laughs> That's my whole point about the squad. They are not good enough to play in the Premier League every but single week. How do we week. not know France is not good enough if we don't actually see him play? We make it like Roy even said about Wilfred, right? Yeah, he used Roy to say, he used play, to say yeah. about Wilfred. He even said it on our podcast, right? He said Wilfred Zaha was not a very good trainer but what he did was play football when he played right you would pick him because you knew what you were going to get why can't we just try and see if that works with 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 Franca why why do we why do we persist with players that aren't performing in the first team that aren't contributing positively when we've got <laughs> we've got a player that I, we've I tried t- to I totally recruit. understand your point but it doesn't mean the other the next bloke is better that's the point no, I get I get it but I'm... <laughs> and, and, and I have to trust the opinion we had all this with Max Meyer right. and people like this before Max Meyer went to Germany failed went to Denmark yeah. failed went to Turkey failed now plays in yeah. Switzerland he was the silver bullet he was the player no, that Roy ruined and the bloke that was going to be the difference I've seen it before I hope Franca comes good I've watched him play three times in the under 20 I saw him play at Wimbledon recently and there was him uh, Nehru Ahamada and Malcolm Abui playing behind our centre forward centre forward in this game and none of them contributed anything to the game meaningful there's 30 to 40 million pounds worth of players there yeah. against Wimbledon who haven't spent 30 to 40 million I, pounds in their history on any players do you know I'll say, I'll say it again we're seeing first team players not contributing and yet we keep seeing them play over and over again and I understand that that's the, the narrative is that those are our only options but the the, the 
the counter to that is you have to try and change something because otherwise we just end up with the same thing over and over again. And that was actually an argument that we made about Vieira. That was an argument that we made about Vieira, and that performance today was akin to the Brighton performance when we when we lost to them at the Amex. It was a first half where we actually did a little bit of decent well, we play. Had three good chances the second half we were poor. Second half today we were poor. We came out and we away. just didn't. There was nothing. Well, I thought the start of the second half we looked like we might get back in the game for a spell. Yeah, and then I think just, Loma hit the post didn't yeah. he, and stuff. We looked a little bit more threatening for a minute, but it's not. Listen, you reap what you sow at the yeah. end of the day. And, and we, we are clear. in this situation because we've got a paper-thin squad with not enough players and not enough quality. And whether Roy is the manager or anybody else, I don't actually see anything changing in that respect until January and you have to go and sign some players. Yeah, And, 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 and they will sign some players because, as I said to you, we've seen it before. We react when we're in trouble. We, the owners find money when we're in trouble. They want to get on. But this... This whole situation we find ourselves in, you know, we've played at home to Bournemouth and lost. We've played at home to Everton and lost. We've drawn at home with Fulham and and uh, Nottingham Forest. And, I have to say to you, the draws against Nottingham Forest and Fulham were very good results. And we shouldn't be saying that, but they were very good results based upon the team that we were able to put on the pitch. Yeah. It's not Premier League. Well, I'll say this basically in, in real terms, and it's probably a little direct and a bit straight. The club have took the piss. Yeah. All right? They've absolutely taken the piss. Yeah. All right? They've taken the piss in the fact that they think we can cruise through the season, finish somewhere in mid-table, and build the stand and all that sort of stuff, and everything will be okay. All right? This is the Premier League, the hardest and biggest and best league in the world, and it bites you on the arse. And that is exactly what's happening now. And I, right? I think... We are not prepared. We are not ready. The squad isn't good enough. It isn't big enough. It hasn't got enough pace in it, it hasn't got enough trickery in it, it hasn't got enough quality in it, you know, and you're still playing with a right fullback who you replaced five years ago and sold and still in the same situation, no disrespect, been a great player, great money spent, great servant, but that's where you are as a football club, and in front of him, you've got probably the most talented player I've seen play for Crystal Palace, you know, so you're, that's, your, that's your quandary, because you've got Ebbs... And and uh, and Michael Elise, but as somebody tweeted, I think the other day, they had a Ferrari on a council estate, and said that that was Crystal Palace with yeah. Michael Elise or something, you know. But I, you know, this is this is um, this is the fact, and I and and I don't think I actually don't think that that changing the manager is necessarily no. going to improve us. Do you know what I mean? It might do because it might just be a different voice and a change and all that sort of stuff. But I don't I'm not sure that any manager with this group of players is going to do much better. I, yeah. That's my concern. Because if that was the answer, I'd say we'll sack Roy and do it tomorrow. But we're talking about people like oh sack Roy and get Steve Cooper. Nottingham Forest lost five nil to Fulham tonight. Yeah. They lost five nil to Fulham. He probably will lose his job. But I don't think necessarily that Steve Cooper's the answer. But the fan, but oh well, he works with young players and he worked with Mark Gecky and all that. It doesn't mean that anything's going to be a success. I just everybody has this idea that anything that they haven't got is better than what they have in football, yeah. and it frustrates me a little bit. But 
let's say it's not good enough, we don't like it, we're not happy with it, we're not positive, you know, but I, I sort of see signs, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm a bit cynical. I've barely seen Dougie Friedman at home game this season. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Why is he not there? Yeah. I know he goes and watches players and all that sort of stuff, but I... do you think, and I will say this, Steve Parrish won't be sitting there thinking I've got a really good squad here for Roy and I've done him a treat. He won't. So there's absolutely no way that Steve will not, not accept his responsibility in that respect. But whether that's enough to keep the manager when it all gets toxic, I don't know. But we see all the time that the manager is often the full guy in this situation. And I don't think, you know... And I've said this to you before the, the cynic in me says that Roy came in the summer Nobody else particularly wanted the job They did interview a couple of people They weren't impressed and they didn't like it and all that And again, who wants the job if you're not going to get funds And you're not going to get a chance to build a squad properly And all that kind of stuff And I said to you during the summer said to you up, right up until the window I can't believe we're going to go into this season With these players, I can't believe it I can't believe the club's going to let that happen The club won't let that happen We won't go in with Jordan Ayew and Jeffrey Slub As our wide players yeah. And we've got friends uh, we didn't know at this point Long term injured And Michael Lee said we won't do that We won't do that And we did The thing I, is It's absolutely unbelievable as far as I'm concerned I think it's also worth kind of just re it is possible to hold two conflicting thoughts at the same time. And so while I'm critical of Roy and some of the selection, not all of it, I totally understand. Yeah, we're always going no, to no, disagree over selection, it, aren't we? It. I disagree we with him yeah. over selection every so, week. So, I still think he's very good. Yeah, and, and but this is an atrocious situation that's been created by the owners of the club and that's Steve Parrish who's from who's the the face of it and the person that that speaks out about things and goes on podcasts to talk about how difficult it was to sack Patrick Vieira another manager that he hadn't really supported it with with signings and transfers um and here we are again at a point where Crystal Palace fans are having to 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 watch a performance of players that just at the very least, the attacking players aren't good enough. We can say, I can argue that Francis should be playing, but I don't really know very enough about him. But I can argue that. But I can also say that there aren't enough other players. There just aren't enough no, other options. And it's, and it's ridiculous, because Bournemouth, look at the players that they had. Francis and Raksaki are your two young wide players that you should be saying are, are there so, to, be, to be bought on and be developed. You've got Michael Elise, but you should have two others as well. Do you so, know what I mean? so my question is right. When you look at uh, when it, you would think that when it comes to recruitment, the team would look at a depth chart, right? And they'd say, right, we've got three goalkeepers, we've got you know three centre backs or four centre backs. This is what we've got. This these are these are top like our, our first picks. These are our second kind of string. These are our backup third string. What what options are there in terms of our attacking options? You've got Edouard, who let's be honest. Has done really well this season, scoring I think six goals in how many, however many seven well, I think, goals. I, I think, think with it? his League Cup goal at Plymouth, 
prior to tonight's game, he'd scored a goal every 173 minutes this season. Right. So Which is one in two. We've always been saying we need a striker that, that can yeah. do that. That means he's he's close to being a 20-goal-a-season striker so in the Premier League. he's our striker. Yeah. Right? He's our number one striker. There's no alternative. There's not really very much alternative because whenever Mateta's come on this season, and granted, it's not been very many minutes, and he hasn't really, you know, it's been it's been a challenge. He's he's made one good assist, I think, for for Eze in in that um, uh, earlier in the season, but that's it. And 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 you don't have any other options in attack. The only other option is Ayu, who you wouldn't really play as a striker anyway. But then you look at our wingers, and it's. It's literally Ayu and potentially Schlupp and Elise when he's when he's fit, who's been ill, uh, injured for for most of the season. Um, and and we knew that Elise was injured for most of the season because he got injured during the summer, and they still didn't sign anyone to replace him. There's talk of Ekatike potentially coming in on loan. There's, but that's that's just not enough. And we the thing that's frustrating about it is that we were talking about this prior to the closing of the transfer window, and we said it's just unbelievable that we haven't made any more signings. And it falls on Steve Parrish's shoulders ultimately. We can argue that there's there's disagreement behind the scenes, but it but it's the person that is the face of the organisation, and ultimately Steve is the, the the deciding vote. And if you 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 either your faith in a manager and say okay who is it that you want do you want any of these players great let's go and get them or you say you know what the manager doesn't want want them but we're going to sign them anyway because we need them and hopefully he'll see them in training and they'll, they'll he'll play them as a result right that's the that you, you either have a, 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 a director of football that you trust with your signings or you trust the manager to make the to make decisions based on what he needs to do but you don't just not sign anybody because that just ends up in this situation where we have we have no options and we have players going off out injured either with you know hamstring issues which is a, a, a ludicrous situation because players are being overworked you've got Decore getting injured because he's come back from inter- an international break and potentially hyper extended himself in a way that he, he may not have done had there been an alternative to play in his place it is just it's this some of this is the, a creation of our own the, the, the problem the problem you have is that you're always going to get injuries and if you have a bit of bad luck you get quite a lot of them do you know what I mean and sometimes and this is you the get lucky that, that, but the, 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 you're still coming back to well you're talking about the lack of players which we talked about over and over and over again but it really is the reason you're not winning football matches yeah. and the club's best player left in the summer the best ever player left in the yeah. summer there has been no replacement for him yeah. nobody so you've done away with the bloke that's kept you probably done more to keep you in the Premier League for 10 years than anybody else pretty much well nine because obviously the first year he wasn't um, he wasn't with us but uh, mind you his performance at Cardiff probably helped us a little bit but the uh, but what I'm saying to you is he's done more in, in, in nine years than anyone else to keep us in the league and we haven't replaced him with anybody serious. We've 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 taken a, a punt on a 19-year-old kid from Brazil, who may be sensational, and I hope that he is. I mean, we need him to be. We really need him to be. But it was quite a, a thing to do, you know, because my understanding was that he was coming in addition to Wilfred staying and so on, and all of a sudden it became more urgent when Wilfred left, and we just didn't here, do anything else. The other yeah. thing here, Selzy, is if we'd have given Wilfred contract 
and, and if you'd have signed a new contract, he would have also been unfit at the start of the season. Yes. He also spent a lot of last season being out injured. Yes. We also didn't have a replacement for him when he was out injured. No. Part two of the FYP podcast sponsored by Green King Sport. We've answered a range of your questions as we've gone in the first part, but we're going to take one or two more before we play perhaps the most miserable game of 3-2-1 <laughs> this season. Gareth Jones, can you explain Roy's substitution decisions? And then they kind of associate with that Matt Tassel, and I think we'll probably focus on, on this specifically. What's the more damaging to France's confidence, playing France before he's ready or leaving him on the bench in a game like Bournemouth when the crowd are crying out for something, anything? Uh, Matt, I'm fully with you. I cannot believe last night that in that game we only used four of the five subs that were allowed and that Matthäus Franza did not come on. In in all seriousness, I can't imagine any scenario which is, other than us being maybe two or three nil up and he comes on for 20 minutes, I can't imagine a scenario where you don't just chuck him on and see what he does because what was um, what was in front of us was was not doing what we needed it to do, so he may well have done anything. He may well have done nothing, but that would have been no different to what had come before. Joe, your thoughts on the subs broadly, and we've, we've touched on the Nathaniel Klein for Tyreek, which had the impact that it had, but in terms of um, France, what, what are your thoughts? In regards to him, I, I, that's got to be really dispiriting to, to uh, last night. I, I don't understand. Well, I do. It's it's not an, it's not uncharacteristic from Hodgson, you know. If he doesn't believe that they've got what it takes on the bench, he'll just not play them. And we saw that a lot in the towards the end of the last spell where, you know, and, and again, I, I think in most cases he'd be proved right, but a game like that, where there is nothing and he's kind of hamstrung by there, there are players there that are his favorites. That's fine. And, and players that I like. So let's say Jordan, let's pick up Jordan. I, for example, someone that if you're going to bring on Matthias Francher, probably going to have to move Jordan Ayew around. Because I imagine it would be a wide position that he's brought on rather than as, as a 10 or the sort of most forward-facing midfielder. Um, Jordan Ayew does not get taken off the pitch by Roy Hodgson unless there's extenuating circumstances. And it's almost like he's weighed up the option of, well, if I'm going to bring on this kid, it would mean taking off him and I'm just not going to do that because I need that industry. Which I see in one sense because the industry is not being provided by anybody else. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to throw something at, you've got to throw caution to the wind at that point. We're already losing. Is it the fact that we're only 1-0 down that he thinks we're still in the game? Which yeah. I, I just, which I think is uh, just an unrealistic framing and lens of that that the what that second half performance especially it's really unimaginative and the elsewhere that the so for France I just I just like what else is there to lose at that point mm-hmm. and I I worry that we'll see parallels of last season where suddenly you know in a way that we were calling for Edouard to start against Brighton away last season I do wonder if Matthias France gets his first start at home to Brighton before Christmas, 
in a kind of that last roll of the dice for Roy and which I think I think I think currently that's the worst the worst scenario that can play out for us in the next over the next month is that that is that that really limp Brighton performance that sees the end of Roy. That's, were, I, just, I don't uh, think that's recoverable. <laughs> there was chat last night around where I am. There's, there's so much chat last night. People hmm. just furious talking throughout the game. But they did put that Brighton game in the spotlight. and <laughs> It already feels horrendous. It already feels so toxic okay. and horrible. A game, be, that, a game that does, already doesn't need that kind of energy anything. brought into, into it. It brings it itself, as you say. Yeah. Um, I mean, France won last night. I... Uh, I don't even think I don't think it was an expectation of the crowd for if France had come on and did nothing, it's not a that's not a downgrade on what we really no. saw. So no, not at all. You, you see, do you think? Come on, how? And it is, we're aware it's a Tuesday night game. Some a lot of those players out there, you can't argue. Come Saturday early kickoff at Liverpool, well, they came red zone. There'll be players who could be absolutely knackered by the end of that game. Yeah. Who probably played Sunday. 90 on Sunday, 90 last night, and we'll play 90 minutes in that game. And it will be said out of necessity that that's why they're doing it. Last night is the exact sort of moment you bring on, yes, we've got a hammer on, who, I'll be honest, I don't actually think pulled up many trees. Well, I'll so, come on to him in a minute. And that might be his case for why he, th- he might think a hammer is um, streets ahead of France. We're not seeing him train. So... That might be the case of why he's not being brought on, but that if it's if not then, then when? Goodness me! I'd... But every everything that comes with France. So there was there was a moment midway through the second half. I presume the adverts are timed on the board, hmm. and it's during a really turgid passage of play. Both teams. I mean, you know, credit to Bournemouth, they won the game, but their some of their play was Oof, yeah. piss poor as well last night. It really was a poor a poor match, and you know, best league in the world adage, probably not best to be uh, associated with that one last night, but. There was an advert that came on of, of the kit. I, I don't know if there's a deal on with the kit coming up to Christmas, but who's front and centre of it? Yeah. Matthias Franza. Yeah. Who wears number 11? Matthias Franza. Who was, was, who was the biggest signing of the summer in terms of outfield player? Matthias Franza. So I get all the mitigating reasoning why he might not be featuring as much injury um, coming into the, into the squad. Not that huge amount, first team experience. Um who the manager is but last night what was there to be lost I mean the the one he had two opportunities as far as I could see when he bought Roy Hodgson uh, when he bought Roy Hodgson sorry mm. when he bought Will Hughes on to replace Jeffrey Schlapp I did think well could that not have been Franzer but it was right. so inevitable it was going to be Will Hughes I mean there was one point where Will Hughes was the only player warming up Yeah. but the one that I just could not understand why it didn't happen was it meant that we didn't use our full quota of substitutes which, as you say, during a, a period of um, the season when you need to maximise your kind of squad rotation as much as you best can, you think you would. But you brought Jean-Philippe Mateta on, who I think for Jeffrey Lerma, which was a bit bizarre in itself, yeah, um, and didn't bring Francer on. And I just thought for the kid himself, and he'd been warming up with Mateta, I think it had been him and, and Mateta out, what that walk back to the dugout must have been like and sitting back down again, because... He won't play against Liverpool. No. He won't play against City. No. I'd be amazed. The only reason why I could see him being played against Brighton or in any, in any of those two preceding games would be that last roll of the dice, as you say. And then, it's quite depending on those results, it's quite possible that there could be a new manager in, depending on, yeah. on those performances more than the results. We could almost predetermine the results, but in terms yeah. of the performances, 
So I just felt for him. Maybe he's not ready, as you're saying. And I think of what I, the post-match pod I did listen to, Silsy does kind of indicate that that may well be the case. But everything that's associated with that deal and the current level of performances, I fully understand why so many fans are frustrated by that because last night I found myself incredibly frustrated by it. Yeah. On that negative... Go on, go on, Joe. I, say, there's, I saw a few, a couple of people brought up this example, funnily enough, on... on last night after the game. I think there's a similar sentiment about uh, in on the West Ham game, for example, not playing David, o- not having David Ozo involved with the substitutes mm. when we've got midfield problems. Yeah. And I think the sort of official reason given was that well, Ozo played in a, in sort of the, tw- the, the under 21 side on the, on the Saturday. And you think, we'll pull him out of that. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, just, you know, and also at that age, I think, you're not. We know you're not going to play David Ozo for an hour or thirty minutes or ten minutes. Yeah. Might be ten minutes. Yeah, he can play. He can play ninety on a Saturday and then be with the first team in a London and, game on the bench. And there were indications early the week following the Luton game when Chet Decore did his Achilles that David Ozo had been with the first team. Yeah. So either Roy and Ray and Paddy aren't fancying him, or it's been determined actually his contribution to the twenty ones is more important than any experience he might garner with traveling with the first team but it's a peculiar one it's a peculiar one I mean that is something just to throw back very quickly to the Steve Cooper conversation that is something that obviously Palace fans are are linking with Steve Cooper in that he would promote youth players more well I look at that Nottingham Forest team I'm not seeing a great deal of of youngsters coming through there um, other than the the Brazilian centre-half who they've spent significant money on which which may may indicate that he maybe have a little bit more trust in France than, than the current manager does but yeah, difficult one for France last night. I, I, I felt for him. Um, I trust there is a reason why he's not getting minutes. You know, I, I think while I critique Roy and not bringing him on for the five, six minutes that would have been, as we've seen with other Palace players where there's been a crying out for Roy to give them more minutes, they've often not been at the required level. That may well come with France, but as of right now, Roy and, and his coaching staff are determining that he's not, which is frustrating, but is the reality. So let's play a very quick game of three, two, one, simply to keep the numbers moving on the, <laughs> yeah. on the board. Um, I'm going to ask you to nominate two and I'll chuck one in for the mix. Given last night, I think we'll have to throw back to West Ham and maybe um, have a, a slightly more positive uh, couple of minutes talking about that one. Um, your two, or do you want to do one and then I'll do one and then you do one? I'll, I've got one in my head now and then we'll, and then, and then maybe between us we'll have to we might scrape the third. something up. Yeah. 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 I think last night, Jefferson Lerman was on a mission to try and show his former club that he made the right choice. I, yeah. I think I think he probably lost that argument <laughs> as the way it was. Um, but he, again, in, as he was at Luton Town, the only player that really was trying to make, if not making something happen, winning all his jewels, really kind of putting himself around. He, he, it's like he knows that in Decore's absence he's probably going to have to take on a lot more responsibility than is he would otherwise be asked to do. And while I think that's slightly impossible, you know, I, I think Chet the Corey is a, a freak for how he dealt with the first half of last season, certainly on his own, or even well, the, just the fact that he got player of the season without, before Lerma arrives to help him out shows you the kind of job he was doing. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think Lerma can meet that bar, but, he was certainly doing his very best uh, in midfield to kind of do so. 
Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure to give him credit for Bournemouth not being that kind of adventurous um, because I just think they were quite happy to get their set-piece goal and then hang back. But, you know, I I, I, I think continuously, he even in these, this bad run, he kind of walks off the pitch with his held high. And I hope that Palace fans are acknowledging that. You, there's a temptation to throw everybody under the bus after games like that. But I don't think, I, I, I yeah, the only, currently the only good summer signing. Yeah, I think last night, even last night, he probably was one of the players that strayed close to his standard. Probably yeah. still played below par. I don't think we can say that he was he was great last night. I think, <clears throat> particularly in the first half an hour, I did very much get the impression that he's playing against his old school here and he mm. wants to give them a kick yeah. in. Um, and some of his passes were a little bit wild. And my biggest concern at that point was he was going to pick up stupid yellow card and, and find himself struggling for the rest of the game. But um, going back to Sunday, he certainly did a lot of good work. He, he was very impressive, particularly the second half. He found himself um, often the, the, the highest player to closest to, to Edward um, and had a, had a really good game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a fair shout. But last night, yeah, particularly that first half an hour, there was. <laughs> it's quite weird actually to see a professional footballer almost fall for the old tactic of trying harder against old mates yeah. and yeah tough one for him last night that would be a difficult one he's he, you know he's gone on the record saying that he's moved he made that move to to improve his his career prospects and to achieve things that he wasn't going to achieve at Bournemouth and last night may well have been a bit of a, a reality check for him I'm going to chuck into the mix Chris Richards um we've talked about his performance last night and we, we won't touch on that any further but in terms of Sunday came in at what I understand was short notice yeah um and did a really good job at the base of midfield. I think that game suited him playing a yeah. third centre half effectively in front of the two um, with the fact that West Ham have deployed Thomas Suchek so much further up this season. He, he had a job to do. He was given his brief and he did it um, on the ball. Not fantastic, but didn't need to be in that game. I, I thought he did everything he needed to do in that, in that game um, well enough and contributed to, um, to what at that point was a decent point. Um, but, will remain a decent point, but would have been you know significantly supplemented if we added to it last night. But yeah, Chris Richards, I think a lot of fans, including myself, have been saying <clears throat> to maybe consider getting the best 11 players we have out there. Yeah. I think Chris Richards is one of our best 11 players. Unfortunately, yeah. he's the third best centre-half we have. Um, and yeah, that, that's where he finds himself. So getting minutes, I think he said himself after the game, just happy to be on the pitch and, and playing. Um, I think until the January window opens, I think we may all see, particularly with the opponents we have coming up, I think we will see Chris Richards continue to get minutes. Um, and I'm not against that. But in a game like last night, where we needed that pivot to turn and actually look forward, he was not that guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, he's my nominee for 3-2-1. Joe, I guess uh, initially just pleased to see him getting minutes and then actually his performance on Sunday was was decent enough too. Yeah, I, I'd kind of echo what you said, you know, for all the, for all the sort of, dismissive comments I've had at the start of this about the, the Bournemouth performance. I think West Ham, oh God, well, not much more you could ask from him really. And it really worked well, you know, whether it was deliberate, but the, the idea of him kind of, him and Suchek having this battle kind of nullified his aerial threat, which isn't, is not inc inconsiderable. And last night there were a couple of instances of that too. Um, you know, obviously his instincts, he was quite comfortably joining the back two when Anderson and Gay are being more adventurous than he was, he, that's fine because he's the one that then fills in while they go. Anderson goes for a run. Um, it's it's Richards who then can sit back and it's, you know, there's no loss of 
drop down in quality there necessarily. Mm-hmm. We're still pretty safe. But um, in a game where you're 1-0 down and, and again, it's a home game where you're, as a team, trying to get on the front foot to to make something happen, not where he's going to be suited. And, and to be honest, I don't think that's going to be an issue for the next month. So I would imagine he's going to start a few more games unless Roy really wants to wash his hands of that performance and he's the full guy. Um, but given the options that we've got until a suspected January loan, I don't know... Who else plays there, really, that, that provides some defensive steel? Because you've got, you know, Gyro might get some minutes over the next few weeks. Um, defensive steel is not one I would necessarily put on him as his sort of strongest skill sets. As the most deepest midfielder, I think that's not what you want. I don't think you'd put Schlup back there. Will Hughes, mm. you know, I, I feel like, um, how, how would I put this? His stock almost rose up just by not being the, in the majority of that game. Uh, I, you know, I, but before kickoff, I was pleased that Richards was kept in with Schlutz return and Hughes sacrificed instead. Not because I'm really anti Will Hughes, but I didn't, I, I would imagine that Schlutz would be more useful furthest forward in the midfield than Hughes, which I'm not sure was proved last night. But the imagination he, can be a cruel thing, Joe. Indeed. But equally, when Hughes comes on, I don't really see any change in how we played at all. No. Um, and so that's just, that's, that's, that's worrying. So I imagine that Chris Richards will be involved in that game on Saturday against Liverpool at the very least. And um, mm. yeah, I, th- I think he warrants that. I think he deserves it. And for someone that seems like a nice guy and has really had to wait for his opportunities at Palace and has rarely let us down in his positions where he's actually, you know, his strongest positions when he plays for Palace. I, you know, again, it deserves some praise and probably a, a push up this three two one in for points because, you know, he's he's very dependable. Certainly will be his first points of the season. Let's come on to a third one. I have one in mind that I'll be happy to put forward if if you're struggling. I'm all is. Well, I had the pleasure of standing next to someone. Let's call him Dim Jaley on uh, right. Sunday, and we both commented that. Tyreek Mitchell's first half performance was quite difficult. And in fact, I think yeah. we said this on the post-match pod, um, recorded in a very cold and <laughs> wet outside area in Canary Wharf. Um, but second half, he really stood up and um, uh, was, was challenged. You know, Mohamed Kudos and Jared Bowen, they're two, <clears throat> currently they're two most potent threats and, and they both drifted right onto Tyreek Mitchell and Tyreek had to deal with them. In the second half, he had a very good half. And I kind of want to mention him because clearly the impact of his absence is going to be felt. So yeah. I, I feel like that's contributed to my thoughts too. So if you're happy to to have Tyreek nominated two as our three, we can um, we can get to any other honourable mentions, if not. Well, that's tough. You, you would you would have liked to have had Wardy <coughs> on hitting that milestone maybe, but that was a rough so, night last night. I don't think we can. Yeah. Even, even me, I don't think I can even stretch that far, Joe. But <laughs> yeah, th- those would be the... Uh, the three will will decide. Um, I like your shout of Lerma on on Saturday, but I feel like given the week, I feel, and I don't know how many times it'll feature. Chris Richards might get the three. Yeah, let's just yeah. I think I think I think Sunday warrants it, and the circ- and the context of him being brought in. Why not? It was late notice. Yeah, that's a okay. So yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do three for Chris Richards, uh, two for Jefferson Lerma, who who I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
and then one for Tyreek, which I think adds to a tally that he's already started this season. So no idea what that does for the scores. Um, I suspect Jeff, uh, Jefferson Lerma is, uh, is creeping up the table. Um, but yeah, Chris Richards for a performance that contributed to a point. I think, um, I think it's, uh, it's worthy of mentioning, right. Join us after the break for a very quick preview, um, of Liverpool this Saturday. the midweek fyp podcast sponsored by green king sport where football is more than a game um if you're still with us fair play to you uh right very quick mm-hmm. look ahead to liverpool on saturday joe um doesn't get any easier um if it's not a difficult enough proposition liverpool um also have a chance to go top of the league with a win so you'll think their motivation will not be um lost i can't make it on saturday and i can't lie as i left last night I felt almost relieved that I wasn't going. <laughs> the, a, a defeat on Saturday, particularly a heavy one, if if kind of repeating the performance as well, will just up the toxicity and, and the, the place could hugely do with, at the very least, a better performance on Saturday, even if the result is beyond us. Any hope for Saturday? I, it can't be any worse performance-wise than that, I think, in terms of... I, I, I think we won't create much more than we did last night, but the dynamic of the opponent means that we'll be quite happy to sink and, and go toe to toe with them in the defensive set uh, sort of setting, which I think the crowd will kind of appreciate and respond to. I think struggling to get out against Liverpool is not really a crime. It, it would be very harsh to beat everyone over the head with that because they wouldn't normally, but given the run of results at home and performances, maybe the, the maybe the threshold is a lot lower for people to lose their get frustrated at the very least. So, which I hope is not, you know, I really hope it isn't one of those days because an early goal might really just Oof. well, you well, the the game you the, which surely I. I saw the seven nil mentioned a couple of times last night. Yeah, same. Which was another early kickoff around this time of year. Yeah, and while it's not that Liverpool team necessarily anymore, they are they are improving. They they're getting better, and they are free scoring still. So the the players we've got out there are going to need every bit of help. And while I think that might suit some of them a little bit more than how it was meant to be last night, where the onus is on the back four and Chris Richards to create stuff. I don't think they will be asked to do much of that on Saturday and I don't think they will. And it's just about whether we can catch them on the break. Michael Lee say as a positive will, it's impossible for him to not see the ball more. I think a team caliber opposition like a Liverpool do not do what Bournemouth did in terms of, right, we'll just focus on that one player. Mm-hmm. Liverpool aren't really in the market for doing that because they know they're a better side. So, They'll just be trying to do implement their way of playing and that will lead to some very tired legs and uh, hopefully no more pulled hamstrings. But yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, I'm not excited for that. Put it that way. You know, we, we, we're, we're a palace. 
since being promoted, the amount of times where I've even said, I think I'm due, I'm going to be talking with a Liverpool podcast today that I usually speak to every time they come to Sellhurst beforehand. And for years, I would often be like, you know, we'll always get one off you. You know, we've, yeah, had, yeah. we've had great runs off you. You know, we're, we're your bogey team. It's been a long time since that now. We, we, we've occasionally given them a good game in years prior, years past, but they're a different animal. And I feel like this is our worst version of ourselves currently. We're not, we're not in a good spot. So I'm not, I'm not confident that we're going to play out a classic from somewhere. There will be a response, you know, for all the negativity about Hodgson's comments and looking like he's not interested. His comments on the 500 episode where he's like, don't get, take it from me. I, Roy, Roy, Roy's had a bottle of wine this morning, probably based on <laughs> what he said after that, that Everton defeat. He's still up. He's still up. Yes, he's still up. <laughs> he never went so, to bed. <laughs> so he, there will be a response. There, there. He, I don't think he will. I don't think he he will appreciate having that be played out in his name. So it won't be the. It won't be a new low on Saturday, but. God, there's still potential for it to happen if there's no response, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting one. Um, live on TNT Sports, um, available at your nearest Green King uh, pub, of course, as well. Um, it's going to be a tough one. Any of you that are, are going out for long, again, I think it's impacted by train issues again. So for those making the the trip again and having any feelings that, that you might not, hopefully the, the pod has given you a chance to refresh whether or not it's encouraged you to go or not. I have no idea, but it's yeah. given you a chance to at least have a think about yeah. it and, uh, and uh, be somewhere nice and warm. to watch it while you're watching it as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not, it doesn't help that it's the time of year. I mean, I love this time of year for football, but it was bitter last night. It was, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It, it was great. How do you see, how do you see that game? I, I mean, are you, are you just like me in the fetal position for the next three weeks? I don't see how that performance last night can be transformed into being able to compete with Liverpool on Saturday as quickly. We've all seen it before. We've seen it with Palace. We've seen it with other clubs. Footballers do re- do react and coaching staff do react to terrible performances. But, you know, what are we now? 13 hours from kickoff <laughs> last night. I just can't see how players that put that performance in against Bournemouth will be able to improve their performance 72, yeah. less than 72 hours later yeah. against a team that, um, as I said, could, could go top if they beat us. Yeah. I just can't see it. As for other results, you know, City away um, is a atrocious prospect as well. Yeah. And then the fighting game, regardless of what Brian are doing, regardless of what Palace are doing, I just don't enjoy that experience. I don't enjoy the, the build-up to that game. I, I think it's... Um, yeah, a difficult one. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess fetal position is probably the the best way of describing yeah. it. Saturday, the only hope, and you just touched on Michael Elise, Michael Elise will be coming up against Costa Simicas, who, um, you know, is fine. he's still finding his feet in that Liverpool team. He, he he doesn't play as regularly as he currently is often because Andrew Robertson's health record is is as good as it is. But, you know, he's, he's playing a lot and I think you can get him. So... Yeah. I, I have hope that Michael Lise might have a slightly nicer afternoon than he had a Wednesday evening. Um, so you just got to hope that he's going to do something. But it, yeah. the expectation on that guy is is absurd. And he probably didn't yeah. help his cause by how good that goal of Luton was. Yeah. But he is our only outlet. And um, if Ebbs is to be back before Christmas, great. But until he is, 
I can't see us doing anything unless Michael Lise decides to, well, not decides to turn it on. I wish he, I presume he wants to turn it on all the time, but in terms of being able to turn it on and actually do it, it, it could be, it could be some amazing. If we do get a win on, or even a point on Saturday, it will be a great turnaround from the, from the manager and player yeah. staff. It will be sure. quite something, but we'll see. Listener, thank you for sticking with us. Um, to be honest, we don't even mind if you stuck with us and you need to use the fast forward button a few times to get yourself <laughs> along. We, we fully understand. Um, hope the pod has been helpful listening. Um, we really appreciate the support. As I said, if, if you liked what you heard earlier on in the snippet of the post-match pod, you can join our patron at F, uh, sorry, patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Um, and yeah, we'll leave it there. Joe, thank you so much for, um, for being up. Um, so early with me to, to talk it through, was, it was incredibly fresh, but I think it's probably helped both of us to, to yeah, talk out. Absolutely. <laughs> Good man. And, uh, there'll be a post-match pod after Liverpool game. Um, and there'll be a, a midweek pod as usual next week, um, dropping when it usually does, I presume, um, following the Liverpool game. Um, and who knows what we might be talking about there. Hopefully slightly different <laughs> mood, but we will see. So cheerio and um, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Go well. Sports Social Podcast Network.